0: Every night when I sign off, virtually every night, I thank our military, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. You look what's taking place in California now. What would we do without our firefighters and our police officers? And they made a courageous, a courageous saving of the Reagan Library. John Highbush, the executive director, a dear friend of mine, just reported that flames came within one hundred yards, within one hundred yards of football field of the Reagan's gravesite. As you know, they're buried there. And also the the incompetence over decades of the radicals and the government there, and the environmental movement. What they've done in terms of the failure to take out underbrush, uh, dead trees, the, uh, the the it's it's just it's just outrageous. And then you have blackouts there, not even brownouts anymore. Periods of time when they just shut down the electricity. They just shut down the electricity. It's just incredible. This is, uh, this is the future, should the Democrats take over this country. You need to clean out the forests. Look, nothing's perfect. These things happen. But you want to reduce the possibility wherever you can. You want to reduce the possibility wherever you can. They'll blame climate change rather than themselves. But I want to move on here. We'll get to impeachment and the rest of it like only we can on this program. And it's interesting that on the House Rules Committee sits a congressman who used to be a federal judge, Alcee Hastings, who was impeached and removed from his judgeship, who now sits on the House Rules Committee that voted on this preposterous resolution that they are scheduled to vote on tomorrow. Which does not, in any respect, provide the kind of due process that past presidents have received during impeachment inquiries. Well, As I say, we'll get to that later. But I want to tell you this story here. A gentleman by the name of Fletch Daniels writing about Fairfax County, Virginia. Mark, what does that have to do with me? Everything. I used to live in Fairfax County, Virginia. I would say, let's see... 16 years ago and before. And when I left Fairfax County, Virginia, just 15, 16 years ago, I moved to another county in Virginia. It was a Republican county. Not overwhelmingly Republican, but Republican enough. 57%, 55%. The Board of Supervisors was majority Republican. The school board was majority Republican. It was a reliable Republican county. It's a county of over 1 million people in Virginia, so it's really the the biggest county in the state, and it has an enormous influence. Today, it's a solidly blue county. Arlington County was a blue county, but it wasn't overwhelmingly blue. You had Republicans from time to time that could win. It's a solidly blue county. Loudoun County which is a suburb northwest of Fairfax County and a, one of the fastest-growing counties in the country. An awful lot of uh, government contractors and so forth live in Loudoun County. It was a solidly dark red county. It is now a purple-blue county. Prince William County was a solidly red county. It's now a purple-blue county. All the counties and even outer counties that encircle Washington, D.C. on the Virginia side are now blue or dark purple, one election away from blue. Virginia is turning into California. And Fletch Daniels of Fairfax County, Virginia, says, my home county of Fairfax, Virginia, writes in The American Thinker, was once a safe suburban area with some of the best-performing public schools in the nation. It's now a blinking warning sign to America as it hangs on the edge of complete disaster thanks to unchecked immigration and a Democrat takeover of the government. Even with the high concentration of government workers, Fairfax County was once a Republican bastion before it became a political battleground. The Bush-Cheney ticket won the county in a close race in 2000 and then lost it badly in 2004 due to a significant increase in Democrat votes. Fairfax's descent into its current state started with a wave migration, much of it illegal, into the area, which washed away Republican political viability. Fairfax County became a nullification sanctuary county in 2018 and now puts a significant chunk of money into its budget to defend non-citizens from U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, though the problem started long before that. By 2015, 30% of the county was foreign-born. MS-13, a brutal criminal gang, is now more active than ever and the once marquee schools have started what will be a long slide through mediocrity to abysmal. Fairfax just ranks 7th among the highest crime sanctuary jurisdictions, ranking just below Chicago and tied with nearby Maryland County that has had at least 9, and that's Montgomery County, Maryland, that has had at least 9 illegal alien sexual assaults since its sanctuary policy was declared in late July. And it goes on. That's staggering. Fairfax County now is on a list of shame with Chicago, Philadelphia, New York, and San Francisco. Even apart from the rapidly deteriorating safety, the schools are sinking under the fiscal and social costs. Costs on average $15,283 to educate each of the 188,000 students in the county. That's an enormous bill. And the cost for limited English proficiency students is likely about $10,000 higher per student. Back in 2015, when the problem was nowhere near as acute as today, nearby Alexandria County spent over 45% of its instructional funding on limited English proficiency students. In this context, flooding the county with non-citizens who are contributing little tax revenue must result in worse schools and far higher taxes. It's a mathematical certainty. But the flood of new residents achieved its primary purpose, which was to make the ground here far more hospitable for Democrat politicians. Now listen to this, it happened in California, it's happening in Texas, it's happening in Florida, it happened in Nevada, it happened in Colorado, it's happening in Arizona, and so forth. Nearly 12,000 county residents were in deportation proceedings late last year, which the county is vigorously fighting in the interest of political power. This once Republican bastion is now a no-man's land for Republicans. On the single greatest day of 2016, Donald Trump was way ahead in Virginia, with most of the vote counted. But anyone who dared to hope that this was still a battleground state was in for a rude awakening when the votes from the northern Virginia counties were added to the tally. Virginia's gone. The only difference between Virginia and California is in the shade of blue. The state will trend ever darker blue, barring a significant change in the voting patterns of the newer residents. The dominoes continue to fall. Fairfax fell early. Even his neighboring Prince William County remained in Republican hands, but that county is also now in deep trouble. And other dominoes will spread out from there, county by county. This is the same path that Texas is on, and only it is a little farther behind. The Democrat votes brought a Democrat school board along with local county leadership. This meant the adoption of a policy framework called One Fairfax in November 2017. One Fairfax is representative of what is happening across the country. A constellation of groups with backers like George Soros are active across America, subverting local governments and education. And as the Daily Caller noted, three groups are already active in 33 cities and counties covering 10% of America. The One Fairfax name brings to mind Sorin's One Ring to Rule Them All from the Lord of the Rings. Like that ring, One Fairfax is intended to destroy all dissent or resistance and to force absolute subservience and surrender. The key buzzword used to squash dissent is equity, which is intended to shut down debate. All policies are now looked at through the rubric of race and the liberal conception of social justice, with the goal of absolute political power. Liberals use friendly terms like equity to hide their true goal, which is a complete reshaping of the county in a Marxist image where the only thing that matters is some conception of equality of outcomes. One can almost envision the superintendent holding a map and redrawing lines, muttering, My precious. The social engineering leftists of the school board were secretly plotting to redraw district lines for the express purpose of achieving equal racial balance across the schools, to include reinstituting failed busing schemes of yesteryear. They were only temporarily thwarted In this area, when county residents grew wise to their scheme and stormed their meeting, there is scant attention paid to actually improving the schools and equipping the teachers to deal with the challenges created by failed policies. Says my wife is a teacher in the county and brings home horror stories beyond belief. The teachers, who all must attend equity training, have little authority to discipline increasingly unruly kids, some of whom barely speak English, even as class size grows. Even as the teachers face incredible challenges due to the bad policies that wrecked the schools, the school board recently spent an hour debating international menstrual equity in the belief that what was really hurting student achievement was that girls, bad to, uh, girls had to go all the way to the clinic to get free menstrual products and had to conduct a walk of shame. This is apparently a dire problem, even in elementary school. Lack of discipline or support In overfilled classrooms, no problem. The lack of tampon PEZ dispensers scattered throughout the hallways, major crisis. The lens of race is now the primary weapon, even at the local level, used to justify the most corrosive and destructive policies. And anyone who objects to their social engineering schemes is automatically branded as a racist. Their race lens is outrageously racist, since it assumes that some races need their social engineering help. There's little difference between the schools with more resources going to schools in less affluent areas. So they are tactically arguing that the difference is in the students themselves. They would rather move the students great distances to achieve a racial balance than focus on providing education where they live. And the politicians' quest for power. The kids and teachers are sacrificed as pawns left to fend for themselves in failing classes that have been socially engineered into lunacy. Fairfax is our country in a microcosm. What happened here is happening all over America. And if we don't reverse the trends, both at the local and national level, the long-term prognosis on America is not promising. While the battle will rage on at the local level, Virginia is lost to the Democrats at the national and soon state level. Other states, to include Texas, aren't far behind. And as I was reading my local newspaper in Loudoun County, right outside of Fairfax County, you know what the big debate was, Mr. Producer? The diversity of the books in the library. There aren't enough books representing the LGBTQ plus community. Not enough books representing one minority group or another. One interpretation of history or another. And of course, our children need those books in order to truly understand America. This is what our public schools are doing. This is what our immigration policies are doing. They are destroying our country. And this is why the left attacks anybody who believes in a rational immigration system. This is why they don't support ICE. They don't support the border. This is why they attack the President of the United States relentlessly. They have succeeded. They have succeeded. I'll be right back.
1: love in.
0: And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Primus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit imprimis.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's Imprimis, dot .hillsdale.edu. Welcome to Hillsdale. Over a conservative review related to what we just talked about, or I did, records 67 million in U.S. speak foreign language at home, equal to the population of France. Daniel Horowitz. Imagine if the American people were told in 1980 that the non-English speaking population in America would triple and rise to a level that's greater than the population of France. Would they ever have agreed to the policies that enabled this fundamental transformation? Yesterday, the Center for Immigration Studies published a report based on census data showing that there are now 67.3 million people who speak a foreign language at home in America. That's around 22% of the entire American population. The trend. It's not just the sheer number of foreign language speakers that is shocking. It's the trend. The number has tripled since 1980, doubled since 1990. The foreign-born population has grown seven times as fast as the native-born population in 1980. But even since 2010, when the foreign population had already ballooned, it has still grown twice as fast as the native-born population over the past eight years. Although 22% of the national population speaks a foreign language at home, that number is more concentrated in some states. In nine states, that number tops 25%. In seven states, that number tops 30%. The highest percentage of foreign language speakers at home, California, 45%, Texas, 36%, New Mexico, 34%, New Jersey, 32%, New York and Nevada, 31%, Florida, 30%, Arizona and Hawaii each, 28%, Massachusetts, 24%, America's five largest cities, in New York City, it's 49%. In L.A., it's 59%. Chicago, 36%. Houston, 50%. Phoenix, 38%. More when I return. You hear me talk about Hillsdale College a lot, about its rigorous classical liberal arts curriculum, about its exceptionally bright and patriotic students. 175 years ago, Hillsdale College was founded with a mission defined by four enduring purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. While many institutions have lost their way, Hillsdale College maintains an unwavering commitment to learning, character, faith, and freedom.
1: Liberties. General Patton. Call into the Mark Levin Show now at 877381-3811.:
0: See this entire attack on Trump and the media taking up all the airwaves, all the ink in the newspapers, is not only intended to reverse course in the 2016 election and disenfranchise tens of millions of us. It's not only intended to have an effect on the 2020 election, where they're hoping to hold on to the House, wipe out the Senate, and take the presidency, but it prevents us from debating these crucial, crucial issues that are affecting our neighborhoods, our schools, our jobs, our country. I want to go on with this Daniel Horowitz piece at Conservative Review. While the traditional large cities, more urban states in the southwest still contain the lion's share of foreign language speakers, some of the fastest growing foreign language populations are in states that are emerging as new destinations for immigrants. States with the largest percentage increase of foreign language speakers since 1980, Nevada up 1,088 percent, Georgia up 952 percent, North Carolina, up 802%. Virginia, up 488%. This is the Deep South. Tennessee, up 459%. Arkansas, up 445%. Washington State, up 432%. South Carolina, up 398%. Florida, up 393%. Utah, up 383%. And Oregon, up 380%. Is it any wonder that Nevada and Virginia have turned blue? North Carolina has turned purple. And Georgia's shade of red is growing lighter. And watch for some other states in the future. Tennessee, Arkansas, South Carolina. And in the past eight years, states like Idaho and Oklahoma have also seen a huge percentage growth. Get the picture? Roughly 62% of those who speak a foreign language at home, 22% of the nation, are Spanish speakers. There are now more Spanish speakers in the U.S., according to the report's author, than in any Latin American country except for Mexico, Colombia, and Argentina. Chinese is the number two immigrant language with three and a half million Chinese speakers at home. While Spanish is still the dominant language among immigrants and has grown 12% since 2010, several languages from India, as well as from Islamic countries, are the fastest growing in the country. The number of Arabic speakers has grown 46% over the past eight years and has doubled since 2000. The number of Bengali speakers has grown 68% since 2010 and has more than tripled since 2000. Now what about the children of immigrants in foreign languages? 45% of those speaking foreign languages at home were born in the United States. While many of those people are children who are speaking foreign languages to their parents who don't know English, 18.7 million of those who speak foreign languages at home are native-born adults. They're not assimilating. They're not learning English. Congress, Congress, polling still consistently shows that Americans overwhelmingly support making English the official language. Is it a mystery why Republicans haven't more aggressively pursued this issue? Time to codify English as the official language for government business, programs, and grants. Congress should remove any mandates on the states that directly force them to cater to the balkanization agenda or open them up to private litigation. I'm almost speechless on how fast this is happening. How fast this is happening. Look what's happening to the schools. This is happening to the states. Let's what, look what's happening to the Congress. Just look what's happening. No emphasis on assimilation. It's just happening too fast. There can't be assimilation. This is the Democrat Party, and the rhinos have done this. But the Democrat Party, which used to oppose this kind of illegal immigration or overwhelming immigration just ten short years ago, now are all for it because they see it as their way to permanent power. Unchecked permanent power. Look at California. That's the experiment. Big, diverse, beautiful state. Fifth, sixth, seventh biggest economy in the world. Now it's a one-party state. They have super majorities in the House and in the State Senate. No Republicans elected statewide. Over 50 members of Congress, the overwhelming majority of whom are now Democrat. They changed their election laws in order to accommodate the Democrat Party. Uh, they changed their districts in order to accommodate the Democrat Party. And of course, they're a sanctuary state for all intents and purposes. Because the more people who come in here who are going to vote Democrat or their children will, three-fourths, then the more they hold under power. It's really very simple what's going on. It couldn't be simpler. It couldn't be simpler. These are the same states that fight Voter ID, they're the same states that fight cleaning their voter rolls. These are the same states that have fewer and fewer checks on people who vote. It's really quite quite serious. And the indoctrination in our schools, this is why you see what takes place in colleges and universities. And so this is going on, it's not really reported on in any consistent way, regularized way, national way. Because we're constantly debating and engaged in the issues that the Democrats want to debate and engage in. Because it, it is the media, the Democrat Party media, that drives the nation's agenda. It is the Democrat Party media... That defines our nation's reality, even if it's an unreality. That is, even if most of what's going on has nothing in common with what they're reporting, it doesn't matter. That's the national debate. We've become Washington centric because of the power of the federal government. And should the Democrats win, there's no turning back. I'm convinced of this. Should they take the Senate? hold the House or increase their numbers and win the presidency. There's enough Obama judges and then when you look at John Roberts potentially Kavanaugh but John Roberts you can't rely on the Supreme Court to uphold the Constitution. You just can't. Very problematic. Even in our schools that's where it starts. That's where the so-called great progressive John Dewey, not of the Dewey Decimal System, just John Dewey, one of the early progressives, one of the most prolific writers and speakers of his time, said that we can make the most difference in our schools. Woodrow Wilson said we can make the most difference in our courts. Well, they didn't have to choose between one or the other, they just devoured both. You know, if you read the books I've written, and I'm not encouraging you to read them all, that would be a little bit of a a burden. But if you read Unfreedom of the Press, and if you read Rediscovering Americanism and the Tyranny of Progressivism, you'll understand what's going on today like nobody else. You'll have the deep philosophy, and then you'll have the propaganda wing. And this isn't an abstraction or a theory. This is reality. This is what's going on today. The libraries. The classroom. The universities. The media. Entertainment. They've succeeded. The question is now whether we can reverse any of this. This is why so many of you like Donald Trump. Love Donald Trump. It's not that he is a philosopher. It's not that he is a conservative per se, it's that he's trying to fight against these forces. He truly is. That doesn't mean we agree with him all the time. Maybe some of you do. It doesn't mean that everybody has to agree with him all the time. That's not even the point of politics. That's not even the point of supporting a president or anybody. Oh, I agree with him all the time. That's imbecilic. He's trying to push the country in the right direction. This is why he's hated by these forces. He's hated by these progressive elements. Whether it's academia, or the media, or entertainment, or the Democrats in Congress. They wish to destroy him. So they take the Constitution, which they hate, because they hate the founders and the framers, the framers who wrote it, who adopted it, who ratified it. They tell us time and time again about the imperfections of these men and why they're to be despised, why we are, we are to reject our history. And then they wave around the Constitution's impeachment clause. Oh, those framers, they say, were brilliant. Brilliant. They enable us to remove... Begin the process of removing a president like Trump, of course, who made a call. and That call is the most horrific thing we've ever seen. These people are destroying our country. They are destroying our institutions. They seek to destroy the outcome of an election. They are shredding our Constitution. They are attacking free market capitalism. They are changing this nation through all sorts of connivances, including immigration, including a borderless society, including indoctrination at our schools. And you and I are supposed to sit here and wring our hands about a damn phone call that didn't amount to a damn thing? And listen to lectures by these people about how this is the worst thing they've ever seen? Thomas Friedman, who ten years ago was celebrating the brutal communist genocidal regime in China? For his four Pulitzer Prizes, for God's sakes. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Liberty and learning. In a healthy democracy, these two things are mutually supportive. In America today, however that bond is broken. To help repair the breach, Hillsdale College has launched the Van Andel Graduate School of Government in the nation's capital. And unlike other graduate programs, Hillsdale teaches politics as a human activity oriented toward justice. A series of choices, guided in the best case by right principles, but made in ever-changing circumstances that require prudence to achieve the best attainable results. Hillsdale's curriculum combines the careful reading of primary sources and serious historical inquiry. Students learn how to apply the principles of free government and advance the cause of constitutionalism in the context of ever-changing circumstances. Hillsdale's new Van Andel School of Government is a program unlike any other in Washington, D.C. Hillsdale College, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. I know this is depressing, but don't blame me. This is what's taking place in your country. This is what's taking place in your country. And whereas the patriot press, prior to the revolution, during the revolution, and soon after the revolution, conducted itself as if it loved this country and loved its principles and promoted them, the unfree press of today does the opposite. It despises this country. And by the way, so does the Democrat Party. Despises this country. In the long history of mankind, one day they'll look back on this country, much as we look back on Rome and Athens, Persia, so forth. And they'll look at the Democrat Party And with a few exceptions. The look at the Democrat Party as the, as the party that led the cause of slavery. As the party that led the cause of segregation. As the party that led the cause of Jim Crow. As the party that now leads the cause of the dissolution of a constitutional republic seeking to fundamentally transform it into a centralized autocracy. Just listen to their proposals. And the irony is, and it's a sad irony, is that the people who will be hurt the most and the first, minorities, religious minorities, racial minorities, people who are less wealthy, They will be affected the worst and the earliest. Everybody will be affected horribly. But that's the way it works. When a civil society and a culture unravels. That's the way it works. Now I have ripped the veneer. Off this phony impeachment process. For months. We've led the way on this program. So I want to thank you for being a listener and participating in this, and we're going to continue to do so. We were the first to point out that the House in the past three inquiries into presidents of the United States, the only three prior to this one, followed a process. The other hosts know nothing of an impeachment process. It's not their background. They read websites. They try and pick things up. I've lived this. And so we described exactly what's supposed to take place. We have strongly urged the Republican minority in the House to do the sorts of things that it's doing now. For which they deserve great credit. We have strongly urged the United States Senate to take the necessary steps to quickly dispose of anything that should come from the House of Representatives to the United States Senate as the United States Senate should not give credibility to, should not give its imprimatur to the bastardized process coming out of the Democrat Party in the House of Representatives. And we will continue to lead that fight on this program. I have read for you, word for word, the phone transcript. I had serious doubts about the so-called whistleblower that turned out to be true. And other facts that we've gone through and I read to you last night or was it the night before the actual resolution that the Democrats and Pelosi have come up with and I told you what a fraud that document is and you're hearing others explain it to you as well but I read it to you I don't just tell you and this constant effort by the media and the Democrats to protect the so-called whistleblower and to protect the so-called whistleblower's lawyers is a disgrace They're trying to take the entire issue off the table. We need to know who this whistleblower is. We need to know everything about this whistleblower. And if the whistleblower is getting death threats, shame on the people who are making those threats, and they ought to be tracked down. But guess what, ladies and gentlemen? I get death threats, too. I'll be right back.
2: From the Westwood One Podcast Network.
0: Hello everybody, Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Mr. Call Screener, I want you to leave one line open for a liberal or a Trump hater. And my question is going to be exactly what impeachable offense did Donald Trump commit? What was the impeachable offense? Let's see if we can stay focused on Ukraine like the party leaders on the Democrat side. What is it? That he asked Ukraine for assistance to investigate the 2016 election, that they, he asked them to look into Hunter and Joe Biden and public reports about the two, that he won't provide all the information and all the witnesses demanded by the Democrats in the House, what is it that he's done that's an impeachable offense? Quite serious. The nation awaits your call. 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. The New York Times is having a blast, you see, because the New York Times is the paper of Adam Schiff's record. Of Adam Schiff's record. Adam Schiff continues to leak to the New York Times. And so we get this piece. Yesterday. White House Ukraine experts. Sought to correct transcript of Trump calls. So now the transcript you see wasn't correct. Because Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman says so. And he was listening in. So he has first hand knowledge. And yet the transcript. Is developed by a group of individuals who are monitoring the call, not by the president, not by his political appointees, but by other patriotic Americans who work for various intelligence services. So, why does it matter what Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vinman says? He says, Trump, you know, Biden was mentioned more. I want to remind you, the president of Ukraine says he didn't feel pressured. There was no... Effort to investigate the Bidens as a consequence of the phone call. None that I'm aware of. But I I, I am still, and I will still continue to make the case that why shouldn't the Bidens be investigated? And why shouldn't the president raise it? Because the Bidens, that is, Joe Biden, might become his opponent. In the general election? What kind of idiocy is that? It's absurd. Absolutely absurd. The lieutenant colonel came dressed in his uniform, which he normally doesn't wear when he goes to work, because he he knows how the media react, and so does his lawyer. His statement, which was leaked to the New York Times before his testimony yesterday, is filled with patriotic slogans and statements. The left, the Democrats, the media have all run to his defense. It's one of the few military personnel whose defense they've ever run to. But he's useful to the media, you see. But why does his opinion matter? We have the transcript. Well, he says, well, the transcript's not correct. Well, that's kind of absurd. But the transcript's all we have to go on. No, Mark, you don't understand. There's other witnesses. See what the Democrats have done? In order to pursue this, we would have to break into further the president's inner circle where he has executive privilege, where he's supposed to get advice, where people are supposed to be serving the president. Not where CIA operatives and uh, lieutenant colonels in in the army and others are supposed to be running to Capitol Hill and give them their opinion of what the president's doing. So military aid ultimately was not withheld. The Bidens ultimately were not investigated. The President of the United States committed no crime. The President of the United States didn't say anything wrong. The President of the United States didn't do anything wrong. Now, you see, we have, well, he, he's obstructing Congress. They're even accusing people who are going to a federal judge to see whether or not they should talk to Congress, having been on the National Security Council, of obstructing Congress. This is a like the French Revolution, the off-with-their-head crowd with the guillotines operating 24-7. Now, this isn't the way things are supposed to work in America. But a lot of things that Democrats have done over history are, things the way, or, are done the way things aren't supposed to work in America. So who cares if Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman thought the President mentioned Biden more often? Who cares? It's not what the official transcript says, and the official transcript is the collective recollection and notes, I should say, of all the monitors, not just Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. And I will again say what I said yesterday. The New York Times reported deep into its story, deep into its story, that he was giving advice to the Ukrainian government in dealing with our president. That is outrageous outrageous that a lieutenant colonel, that a lieutenant colonel in the United States military serving on the National Security Council, serving the President of the United States in the White House, is giving advice to the Ukrainian government on how to deal with our president. And oh, by the way, the New York Times says, most of the time in English. That means part of the time in Ukrainian. But whatever you do, they say, do not question the fact that the man is Ukrainian-American. Now, I love ukrainian Americans, so to me it has nothing to do with that. But it is a fair question to delve into this, whether he serves in the military or not, given his own conduct as reported by the New York Times in a self-serving piece. I didn't invent any of this. I read it to you from the New York Times. It was leaked to the New York Times. From the Democrats. Now, this so-called whistleblower, this so-called whistleblower, Chuck Schumer, Adam Schiff, and others just kind of routinely say that he's, he or she is living in danger because they've been threatened. There was one article, or 60 Minutes, that said that he was in the witness protection program protected by the federal government. His lawyer had to say that's not true. But if we don't know the whistleblower's identity, how is the whistleblower being threatened? Are people sending letters or calling his lawyers? But how is the whistleblower threatened if we don't know who the whistleblower is? Well, they told the lawyers, but the whistleblower per se is not threatened because nobody knows who he is or she. He or she. I wonder how many times the United States president has been threatened. I wonder how many times our president's been threatened. You know, the Secret Service can't put out that information. I wonder. I wonder how many times Mark Levin and Sean Hannity and others have been threatened. Many. And we're not alone. And we're not alone. I wonder how often Supreme Court justices are threatened. Probably often. They have protection. Members of Congress, probably often they have protection. Of course, the only people who aren't allowed to have protection are the American citizen, which is why they attacked the Second Amendment. But that's a footnote. That aside. The Democrats and the lawyers for the CIA operative have no right to keep this individual's identity, background, and appearance secret from the American people. This is the individual who decided on his or her own, or with the support of Adam Schiff and his staff, or with the support of these lawyers. But this is the individual who decided to take this action to try and bring down a president of the United States. That's what the individual was trying to do. And he got legal advice, and he got congressional advice, and they're still working with the Democrats on Capitol Hill. We, the American people, forget about the damn media. We, the American people, have a right to know who this person is and this person's identity. Have you ever seen the media protect a person's identity like this? Ever? Ever. They'll give up the name of CIA operatives in the field, the Pentagon paper, whatever it is. They'll give it up. They'll give it up. But the identity of the so-called whistleblower, we're not allowed to know that. But it's the most noble person on the face of the earth. And you're not allowed to question this lieutenant colonel because if he do, it's an outrage. You must be scum. So you can't question the lieutenant colonel. I'll question him, but you know, you know my point. No. And the magnificent people who work at the State Department under Obama and others, hold up. You can't question them. These people, one of them, went to West Point. You can't question that person. No way. You can't question that person. So you can't question the whistleblower, so called. You can't question the lieutenant colonel because he has a purple heart. You can't question the former ambassador, their integrity, no way. You can't question anybody. And of course, you can't investigate the Bidens. Isn't it perfect? It's perfect. Meanwhile, the president's lawyer still doesn't have access to testimony and to witnesses. Meanwhile, the Republicans still can't subpoena witnesses on their own. They still can't read the transcripts until Adam Schiff decides if they can and when they can. These Republicans in the United States Senate better fix this. Under our Constitution, they're the only people who can. They better fix this. And they're now dragging this into 2020. They're moving as fast as they can, but they might slow down a little to push it into 2020. Why? To affect the general election. So you're focused on the impeachment of Trump and the trial with the Democrats getting all the headlines, the Democrats getting all the time on the television networks and the front pages of the newspapers and so forth. So our president is pushed out by their static in the lead up to the election. So they can put the scarlet letter I on his forehead and say, Oh, they're running against an impeached president. So the ladies in the suburbs are too embarrassed to vote for an impeached president. This is what we hear. I'll be right back. Mark
1: Levin.
0: In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. Let's go to Lynette, Holman, Washington State, Sirius Satellite. How are you, Lynette, a retired sergeant major? God bless
3: you. Good good evening, Mark. Hey, I'm going to just make this quick. Lieutenant Colonel Vinman, you have violated your oath when you joined the military. You have publicly gone against your commander-in-chief, and he is nothing but a giant blue falcon.
0: What does that mean?
3: Um... Backstabber! I, I I can't. It's a Bravo Foxtrot, and I can't say it on
0: the radio, Mom. Oh, okay. I got I got what you mean. <laughs> now, this yeah. I, I raised this yesterday. I said this. Uh, I, I it's kind of strange. This guy is a is senior level in the National Security Council. He's covering Ukraine and Russia. He speaks both languages. He's a Ukrainian American. He was he came here with his parents from Ukraine. He uh, served in Iraq. He got a Purple Heart. And, and in the New York Times article, it also says he was giving advice to the Ukrainian government in dealing with Trump, mostly in English. What the hell does that mean?
3: I, I, I think he's got his own agenda. I, I think he, he uh, like I said, he somehow does not grasp the gravity of, of forsaking the oath that he took. And a guy like that, there is no way in heck I'd want to follow him into a combat zone. I served in Iraq, too. I was lucky enough that, that the job I did, and I was not a fobbit, I, I flew missions over there um, in a fixed wing. Everybody called us the Vomit Comet. But, but anyway, um, I, don't, I don't care if you got a Purple Heart. I definitely respect a bronze or silver star or definitely the Medal of Honor. But a, a Purple Heart doesn't make you any better a soldier than anybody else. And but, you're, guy, but
0: you're appalled at what he's doing while he's been working at the White House, is your point?
3: Absolutely. He has, he has violated the trust of the position that he holds, as well as uh, blatantly disrespecting the office of the president.
0: And he's giving his opinion. I mean, the president didn't break the law. The president didn't commit any crime in the Oval Office. He didn't commit any crime in the course of that phone call. He's arguing over the policies that the president has decided to put forth. And, and, and I'm thinking to myself, you're testifying against the president with a, on, on Congress because you disagree with his decisions?
3: That is not his purview, and he is not that far up in the food chain where he even rates an opinion about what the president's doing. This yeah, guy is I, nothing but trash.
0: I, I, well, I have a colonel friend of mine. Uh, who's retired? Uh, he was in the Navy, and he's absolutely stunned by what's taking place. So he doesn't disagree with you.
3: Well, well, even even that that admiral, that that Navy Seal admiral, who was saying that basically uh, Trump is destroying this country. I mean, that that's trash. That's pure and utter violation of the oath we took. And my oath still stands, Mark.
0: Although he was a civilian at the time. Now, look, I I think what he's done is is unconscionable too. What he wrote was ridiculous.
3: I'm a civilian now too, Mark. But I, but I I I tell you that just because I retired, I retired back in August of 20, 2014. Just because I retired does not mean that oath is dissolved. Mm-hmm. And I will stand firm by that. And anybody else that wants to argue it, feel free to reach out to me. Well. But but that with that that does—he doesn't even rate the lieutenant colonel. But what—that that you're, you're
0: very angry about this. What do you think about all these civilians on TV, liberals and, and journalists, so-called and so forth, coming to his defense and say that nobody should really criticize this man?
3: Well, well, they—they've they, got their heads so far up Pelosi and Schumer's backside that I'm surprised they can breathe.
0: All right, Lynette, thank you for your service. Take care of yourself. People are furious with what's going on in this country. But the idea that you can't comment on people who come forth or people who come forth and then hide their identity is absurd. I just went through the list. You're not allowed to really criticize the so-called whistleblower. You're not allowed to know who he is. But he's free to do whatever the hell he wants to. I say he, it could be she, but I'm not going to keep saying he or she, it, whatever. You're not allowed the lieutenant colonel. Now, you can trash Mike Flynn. You can trash Ollie North. You can trash uh, Tabby uh, Gal, Gal, whatever the hell her name is. You can trash all these people, but just not this lieutenant colonel. And I don't even mean trash. You can't really pursue or try and figure out and unravel his testimony and so forth. That would be unpatriotic, you see. And whatever you do, don't question the process. And I keep hearing the media saying there's a vote tomorrow to formalize. Let me get to that in a moment.
1: Mark Levin Show, live and national
0: at 877-381-3811. You know, you hear me talk about mortgage rates often, and I do so because it's important for you to understand the difference a lower rate can make. But first I want to tell you a little secret before you get started. Choose the lender who's in it for you. And that's my friends at American Financing. They're honest are family-owned, family-owned mortgage banker. How many of those are left with salary-based mortgage consultants? So they put your needs and the needs of your family first. They don't charge upfront fees. They're not going to force you into a loan program that doesn't make any sense. That's not how they work. Instead, they customize a loan that achieves all your financial goals. They tailor it. And it only takes 10 minutes to get started. American financing has been helping people like you for over 20 years. They have a marvelous track record. Lowering their rate, buying homes, even consolidating debt, their customer service is the reason why they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. And today, the Fed has once again lowered mortgage rates, interest rates, by a quarter point, by another quarter point. Now is the time to call my friends at American Financing. So it's worth seeing what they can do for you. Even if you recently bought a home, you may still qualify for a lower rate. So call American Financing right now. They're open. They're open right now. 888-900-1828. That's their number. 888-900-1828. Or go online to AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. All right. The media keeps saying, even some of our friends in the media, that tomorrow there's going to be a vote in the House to formalize the impeachment inquiry process. Ladies and gentlemen, tomorrow there is a vote to formalize a corrupt Democrat Party railroading of the President of the United States. It's not a real impeachment inquiry process of the sort that was used in the past against three other presidents. This is the propaganda that we get day in and day out. And exactly the question I said the media would ask, or the charge that they would make, is what they're making today. You Republicans, you asked for this vote, and now you're going to vote against it? They asked for a vote on a legitimate process, akin to the processes that have been used against Johnson, Nixon, and Clinton. That's not what they got. That's number one. Number two, they wanted regular order, if you will, when it comes to the impeachment inquiry process. It doesn't mean they have to support the impeachment process per se, because they don't believe the president has done anything that warrants it. But as I've said before, that's like saying, the House needs to follow regular order in passing legislation and a piece of legislation comes up and you vote against it. That doesn't mean you're opposed to a legitimate process. That means you want a legitimate process, but you're opposed to the legislation. You want a legitimate impeachment process, but you're opposed to what the Democrats opposed to what they're doing. So every Republican should be voting against this, every single one. And what are we talking about here? Look at the mess they've created. They have this Stalinist kind of secret testimony. You now have Adam Schiff telling witnesses not to answer Republicans if he doesn't like the question that's being asked. You have Adam Schiff controlling who the witnesses are, the questions that can be asked of the witness, the availability of testimony, The media outreach with the secret leaks? Who's ever seen anything like this? And one of the reasons they don't want this so-called whistleblower to be questioned is because if you question this so-called whistleblower, you get to dig into the extent to which he talked to Adam Schiff's staff. Who else he spoke to? How he found his lawyers? There's an endless number of questions that you could ask this so-called whistleblower. And they don't want a mask. And they don't want a mask. And yet, in any system, in any system, the accused has a right to confront their accuser. Well, Mitch McConnell, to his credit, sees what's happening. I just hope he has the courage to take it on, head on. I hope, as the Republican leader in the Senate, he actually is the Republican leader in the Senate and can actually corral his members, not just to vote for him to be the Republican leader, but to support an effort, to support an effort, to dismiss the allegations that will indeed come from the House as quickly as possible when they reach the Senate. Here's McConnell on the floor of the Senate today. Cut 16, go.
5: Speaker Pelosi has initiated a bizarre process starting with the fact that she began it with a press conference instead of a proper vote of the house. The process seems to be treating Chairman Schiff as though he were a de facto special prosecutor, notwithstanding the fact that he's a partisan member of Congress whose strange behavior has already included fabricating a lengthy quotation and attributing it to President Trump during an official hearing which he was chairing. House Democrats' inquiry thus far has been conducted behind closed doors They've denied their Republican counterparts privileges which Democrats received during the Clinton impeachment when they were in the minority. And unlike during the inquiries around both President Clinton and President Nixon, they've denied President Trump basic due process rights and are cutting his counsel out of the process in an unprecedented way. House Democrats' new resolution does not change any of that. It does not confer on President Trump the most basic rights of due process or seemingly alter Chairman Schiff's unfair process in the House Intelligence uh, Committee in any way whatsoever.
0: And that's very important. This resolution is a sham. This resolution is a sham, and yet the Democrats are waving it around like it's something with their media friends, of course, celebrating it. Cut 17, go.
5: No due process now, maybe some later, but only if we feel like it. Well, that's not even close to fair. No due process now, maybe some later, but only if we feel like It is not a standard that should ever be applied to any American, and it should not be applied here to the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand that many House Democrats made up their minds on impeachment years ago. But our basic norms of justice do not evaporate just because Washington Democrats have already made up their minds.
0: That's right. He's right about it. Let's hope he takes some action. Nancy Pelosi today on whether or not we, the American people, can know who this accuser, this so-called whistleblower, the partisan CIA operative with connections to Biden. This is incredible that we can't know who this person is. It's just incredible, and how the media go along with this is just grotesque. I am so glad I wrote this book on freedom of the press. You have no idea, because it puts the marker down right there. Here's Pelosi today. Cut five. Go.
4: Getting the whistleblower is uh, an unpatriotic action. They shouldn't even go near that.
0: Outing the whistleblowers an unpatriotic action. They shouldn't even go near that. She's done such enormous damage to this country. Now we have Richard Blumenthal. I love Trumps' nickname for him. Denang Dick, right, Mr. Producer? Isn't it something like that? I think it's Denang Dick. If it's not, that'll be mine. Either way, I like it. And he's on CNN yesterday, and listen to how he views this. This is another nut job. Cut six. Go.
1: So if it were up to now, not just impeachment, we're talking about conviction, would you vote to remove him to convict him?
0: Based on what I know now,
6: certainly the burden is on the president to come forward with exculpatory evidence. Remember there you words. go.
0: The burden is on the president. You see, it's not on those making the allegations. The burden is on the president. Of course, the president doesn't even know what's going on because his council hasn't even been invited into these secret hearings where secret testimony is, is given. The, how can you say, or anybody say, that these people serve in the, in the so-called greatest deliberative body in the world? Is this the greatest deliberative body in the world under the control of Democrats? I should also tell you, it's not getting much attention, that a panel of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals has put on hold a decision by a, an Obama judge, chief justice, an Obama judge, district court judge in Washington, D.C., claiming that this is an impeachment hearing and ordering the Justice Department to give up all the underlying data, FBI 302 raw notes, grand jury information, and anything else. That the Judiciary Committee wants, they put it on hold to await the Justice Department's further arguments and a response from the lawyers for the Judiciary Committee. I believe that's all due on Friday. Have you heard about that? Probably not. And that panel, that three-judge panel on the circuit court, every single one of them is an Obama appointee. So I don't know how it's going to end up, but they at least had enough sense to slow it down. Because in the past, what the judicial precedent is, you know, the the left loves precedent unless they disagree with it. Then they hate it. Precedent for them is whatever they believe in. Otherwise, it needs to be reversed. But if it's precedent they like, you damn well better commit to it. It's like elections. If they win them, then they represent the people. If they lose them, then the people are stupid, you see. Then they got to go to the courts and the permanent fourth branch of government the administrative state they've got it all figured out we demand centralized control over the states except of course when it comes to immigration then we believe in nullification and sanctuary cities and sanctuary states just keep in mind it's a Marxist totalitarian mentality no matter how they dress it up no matter how they dress it up we'll be right back Colin Kambacher. Colin Kambacher, yes, yes. Writing for Law and Crime, another Dan Abrams production. Dan Abrams, as you know, is the legal analyst over at ABC News, and he has all kinds of businesses going on. His sister was appointed to the federal bench by Obama, and his brother-in-law worked for the Mueller team. But he's objective. He's, he's quite the newsman and the analyst. Colin Kahnbacher, Andrew McCabe rejects Mark Levin claim that John Durham offered him a plea deal. I thought I spoke in plain English, and they even quote me. This is what I was told by a very, very good source, I'm quoting. No, not the Attorney General. No, not the U.S. Attorney. Remember, I worked at Justice years ago, so I know a lot of people. Could be wrong, but I'm told it's pretty solid. That is, that Durham offered McCabe a pre-indictment plea agreement, and McCabe turned it down, so they impaneled a grand jury in Washington, D.C. Now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, McCabe's lawyers deny this. Did I say this is what I was told, but it could be wrong, Mr. Producer? Yes, I think I did. So the headline, Andrew McCabe rejects Mark Levin claim. It's not my claim. I didn't claim it. I said exactly what I meant to say. But Colin Kalmbacher couldn't help him or herself. Former Deputy Director of the FBI, Andrew McCabe, denies that he was recently offered a plea deal by federal prosecutors. The allegation was made by right-wing commentator Mark Levin, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't an allegation. I repeated what I was told by a very, very excellent source who turned out to be wrong. Maybe not, but at least according to McCabe's lawyers. So what? So I even give you, my beloved audience, the caveat. Could be wrong. I told you I was told about it. Not first-hand knowledge. You see, unlike the whistleblower, I didn't check a box that said it was. But there's something wrong with Dan Abrams' productions and the legal analysts. They can't. Just report the facts. They can't just tell the truth. And, of course, I'm a right-wing commentator, you know. Yes, yes. Well, this is a left-wing crap sheet. This law and crime, along with its mediaite. Another Dan Abrams production. Quite the analyst over there at ABC, I might add, Mr. Producer. Here's something interesting. There are over 2 million burglaries reported every year. That's one every 13 seconds. And what's crazy is that only one in five homes have home security. And I think one of the major reasons is, is because a lot of these companies don't make it easy. But Simply Safe does. Simply Safe is transforming home security by breaking down those barriers to get you the best, most reliable, and comprehensive protection available anywhere. Simply Safe protects every door, window, and room with 24 7 professional monitoring. Their police dispatch is up to 3.5 times faster because they use video verification. It's not a false alarm. And Simply Safe has no contracts or hidden fees. The system is designed to blend right into your home. No wires, no drilling. It's easy to order, easy to set up, usually in under an hour. Plus, prices are always fair and honest. Around-the-clock monitoring is just $15 a month. Visit simplysafemark.com to get free shipping and a 60-day risk trial. Risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go right now. Be sure you go to simplysafemark.com so they know that I sent you. simplysafemark.com. All right. Here we go. Let's see. Let's take a call, shall we? Let's go to James Ashburn, Virginia, the great WMAL, the issue we discussed early on. How are you, James? James? I'm good, Mark. Thank you. All right. Go go off the the speaker. Go right to the mouthpiece. Okay. Go ahead. Yes, I just wanted to
6: thank you for bringing up the school classroom library issue in Loudoun Mm -hmm. County because... Um, I have no doubt it's probably occurring in more than just Loudoun County, but across the country, where activists, teachers, and administrators use the cloak of diversity to put material into classrooms without parents being aware of just what is
0: in this
2: reading material
0: well, they want to change the libraries to make it more diverse. So what do they want to do is push the leftist agenda, the leftist cultural agenda, introduce young children to their ideology, so it's early on, uh, you know, brainwashing indoctrination. That's exactly what's going on. and uh, it is it is appalling. And you know i'm a I'm an old school board member. when I was nineteen, I was elected to my local school board. Serve there outside of Philadelphia, Cheltenham Township. I know what these bureaucrats, what some of these teacher union types are capable of. And I know the left-wing agenda is is constantly pushed into the classrooms, into assemblies, into books and so forth and so on. All right, James, thank you for your call, my friend. And that's exactly what's going on. Lisa, Clearwater, Florida, Sirius Satellite, go.
3: Hi, how you doing? I'm, I'm a okay. suburban housewife. Yes. How are you?
0: I'm not, but I'm fine. Thank you.
3: <laughs> well, I just want you to know that um, I don't believe in the rhetoric. I don't drink the, the Democrats' Kool-Aid, and I totally disagree with whatever the polls say, that the, the suburban housewives are going to vote against Trump because he's uh, impeaching. Um, I don't believe that. I think American public needs to recognize that any, you can be anybody on a poll. You can actually say you're the totally opposite of who you are. So polls are useless. I don't look at well, them. Well, I think I
0: they're useless now, but I think we have to run like we're behind. I hear some of these hosts go on and on. Oh, no problem. Don't worry. Not me. If we win. That's wonderful. we got to be ready, and we got to throw everything we have at the opposition. That's just my opinion. Lisa, thank you. I'll be right back. Hello everybody, Mark Levin here, Hour 3, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811, lots to get to. And a great guest at the bottom of the hour, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. You know, Ken Cuccinelli was at a house hearing today regarding immigration. He is a terrific guy, I've known him a long time, he's a religious man, a family man, He's got a big heart, very humane. But of course, because he's not a left wing Democrat, he must be a white supremacist. Listen to this today. Listen to this at a House hearing today. Hat tip, right bar, cut 14, go.
7: You and Mr. Trump don't want anyone who looks or talks differently than Caucasian Americans to be allowed into this country. That's false. I'm sorry. Please don't interrupt me, and I would like the time to end. That is defamatory. Excuse me. There is nothing defamatory about it. The the, the
6: the gentlelady controls the time, and the witness will get a chance to respond.
7: Unbelievable. Unbelievable Unbelievable how
0: you can talk about somebody like that. Former Attorney General of Virginia, former State Senator of Virginia. Unbelievable. Go ahead.
7: You want to block all immigration and make life harder for immigrants. And you have demonstrated that you will pursue this heinous white supremacist ideology at all costs. Even if it means making critically ill children your collateral, collateral damage in the process. And this goes to a Listen to how
0: this POS speaks. Listen to how this POS speaks. Listen listen, her fast, vicious, venomous attack. If these people didn't have an immunity clause in the Constitution... They could be sued, penniless, homeless
7: people living outside of Los Angeles. Go ahead. Of harm at USCIS under your leadership. In August, you announced the administration's new public charge rule, for example, which would deny legal status to immigrants who use social services. Why does
0: she always sound like she's chewing on cotton, Mr. Producer? Go ahead.
7: Mr. Cuccinelli, has USCIS done any analysis of how many children may stop receiving critical services due to fear of le- losing legal status under this rule? And I'd like you to answer that question, please. After declaring that I'm not a white supremacist, as uh, you alluded, you haven't. You have <clears throat> White supremacist nor is the apologies. president. Okay. Um, and uh, facts th- matter. Yes, they do. Yes, right. they do. Truth. Is why I'm occurs. stating them here? Today. Yes. No. You certainly question. are not. you Please you're answer the question. How many children? cloaked in legislative privilege. How many privilege, children? That may stop. Means, means you can get away with not my time. the truth.
0: Reclaiming your time. Reclaim your dignity, you pos. Mark, what's a pos? A pos is a piece of shingle. What did you think it was? I'm reclaiming my time. I'm reclaiming my time. I'm reclaiming my time. They would never say these things outside that Capitol building. Because they would be sued and they would lose. Then we have Senator Mazie Hirono. One of the biggest morons in the Capitol, and there's a lot of them. Making a bizarre argument against an originalist court nominee, Lawrence Van Dyke. Listen to this one. Cut 15, go.
4: You would look to the Constitution and what what was meant in the Constitution at the time that it took effect. with Enactment, ratification, whatever. This was back in 17... Enactment,
0: ratification, whatever. whatever, 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 Go ahead.
4: When blacks couldn't vote and women couldn't vote. So if the Constitution had not been amended to let women and blacks vote, you would interpret the Constitution as not allowing these groups to vote?
6: Senator, the the
0: Constitution has been amended, I'm thankful. No, but excuse
4: me. If the Constitution had not been amended, (laughs) and you're applying the Constitution as it was enacted, 1789, if the Constitution had not been amended to allow women and blacks to vote, by originalism, you would have to interpret the Constitution as not allowing these groups to vote. Isn't that right?
0: Senator, I believe that, that...
6: we, live, we have a system of separation of powers. I believe that my job as a judge is to apply the law, not to make the policy decisions. And I, I, I um, I'm very thankful so, that the Constitution was amended. I think that was the right process to
4: deal. Yes, with. but you know what? The the point I'm making, of course, uh, which. Uh,
0: now, what is uh, the point you're making, you idiot? We fought a civil war. The country was torn apart. To there were over 700,000 casualties. To ensure that the principles stated in the Declaration of Independence were recognized in the states, and in the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution was amended, 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. Now, who amended the Constitution? Does it just happen? No. The states. The states amended the Constitution. Go ahead. You're trying
4: to get around. Is that originalism means that you would interpret the Constitution at the time of its enactment? And in and, it... And, 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 You would not allow women. The Constitution
0: doesn't say women can't vote. Where does it say that? The Constitution doesn't say blacks can't vote. Where does it say that? It doesn't say any of that anywhere. It's silent. It's silent. It didn't prevent people from voting. And so there was a civil war that resolved it. The Constitution doesn't say, uh, there's an age limit, of course, but the Constitution doesn't say you cannot vote if you're black, you cannot vote if you're a woman, you cannot vote if you're Hispanic. The Constitution doesn't work that way. That's not what it says. And so I think my answer would have been, Senator, where does the Constitution say blacks and women cannot vote? Nowhere. But I just want to point it out. You know, when it was adopted, whatever she says. She's an idiot. A couple other things I want to get to uh, quickly here. The Palestinian Authority. This is for the Bernie Sanders supporters in J Street, and Elizabeth Warren, and Buttigieg, and all the other Israel-hating leftists that are running for Democrat uh, nomination for president. Palestinian Authority, this is the uh, Jerusalem Post. Palestinian Authority police arrest, harass members of LGTBQ community. The persecution by the Palestinian Authority of the West Bank has continued with greater frequency and intensity, notwithstanding protests from human rights organizations. Members of the Palestinian LGBTQ community have in recent weeks been violently targeted and harassed by Palestinian Authority officers. Alarmingly, we've witnessed more than a dozen cases of targeting and harassment that have led to numerous arrests or rather abductions in recent weeks, said the uh, al Cause for Sexual and Gender Diversity in Palestinian Society group. In August, the Palestinian Authority police spokesman issued a statement banning the East Jerusalem-based al activities in the West Bank. The statement said that the PA police would prohibit any event organized by the group on the pretext that its activities go against traditional Palestinian values. You won't have this issue in Israel, by the way. I just want Bernie Sanders to know that. Not that he cares, being the Marxist that he is. I wonder what Talib thinks about this. The Palestinian Authority police called on Palestinians to report any suspicious activities and threatened to persecute al Qas staff and activists. The ban came after al Qas held an event in Nablus for its members. Although the harassment and persecution disappeared from public discourse, it had not and still has not ceased. The violent aftermath of the Palestinian Authority police statement has continued and reached its peak in recent weeks, they said. pointed out that under mounting pressure, the Palestinian Authority police quietly responded to inquiries, quote-unquote, from human rights organizations by saying it had retracted the statement and confirming that alcohol's work is absolutely legal. However... When people demanded the police officially and publicly denounce their statement and affirm the legality of the group's work, the police refused. Some Palestinian groups have even celebrated the Palestinian Authority police threats, raising yet again disturbing questions about the Palestinian Authority's commitment to human rights. Imagine that, ladies and gentlemen. But they should be dealt with equally, these groups, you know, Israelis and the Palestinian Authority. And this is shocking, what they're trying to do to Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel. You know, they have a, uh, an entrenched bureaucracy, too. And it is deplorable. Attorney General Mandelblit on Monday asked police to address claims that investigators have overstepped their authority in searching the phones of aides to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Police confirmed they had opened an investigation into senior Netanyahu campaign figures alleged to have harassed Shlomo Filber, a former confidant of Netanyahu, who led the ruling Likud party's campaign in the 2015 elections. Police searched the phones of Likud spokesman Jonathan Yurik and the party's campaign manager Ofra Golan in a move that riled right-wing activists and politicians. Filbert's a key witness in case 4,000, in which Netanyahu is under attack, of course. So the point is here that the police, they're not like our police in Israel. The police in Israel are much more powerful. They have much more leeway. And in many ways, they have prosecutorial powers. But in any event, they seize the phones of a couple of these Netanyahu aides, including a spokesman, and went through the phones. You see what's happening to our president? You see what's happening to the prime minister of Israel? It's absolutely appalling. All right, I'll be right back. Well, we found somebody, or they found us, Democrat Ron, Kansas City, Missouri, the great KCMO. Go, sir. Hello. How's it going, Mark? Okay,
2: Ron. Well, um, yeah, I guess I'm going to be the sucker for the
0: night. (laughs) No, just tell us what what the the impeachable offense is. Go right ahead.
2: Well, I think um, at this stage, one of them is obstruction of justice. How we got to that point? The way, the way, from my understanding, how you know this as well as, as well as other uh, cases that might go before a judicial body, whether it be you know any a certain type of crime. Um, initially, there's an allegation.
0: All right, what's the obstruction of justice?
2: Well, the obstruction of justice is, uh, I believe, not uh, allowing those who have been subpoenaed. to to be questioned. Now,
0: you know better than this. Number one, it wouldn't be obstruction of justice. Technically, it would be obstruction of Congress. That's number one. Number two, the president represents the executive branch, and he represents all future presidents who sit in that office. And there's a legitimate separation of powers argument. And if Congress wants to go to court, or the president wants to go to court, or somebody whose subpoena wants to go to court, how the hell is that obstruction? If they well, need to have that issue resolved between branches of government,
2: well, if, if
0: it's not house, obstruction,
2: how does the house have, have the right to uh, subpoena people to be questioned?
0: Well, let me ask you, is that in the constitution?
2: No, but
0: no, okay, it's not, and we keep hearing, well, that's not in the constitution, the house doesn't have to do X, okay, so the house can subpoena witnesses, you know, it's interesting. I had a uh, scholar on my Life, Liberty, and Levin program by the name of a former federal judge uh, by the name of McConnell. And uh, he said, you know, uh, it's not really, except in the last 30 years, that presidential staff has been subpoenaed. Prior to that, Congress didn't subpoena them. So to answer your question, just because Congress issues a subpoena doesn't mean that a, uh, a president has to answer for it. For example... If a committee of Congress issues a subpoena, that's not the House of Representatives issuing a subpoena. That's a committee of Congress. One of the reasons they're taking this phony vote is to try and give the impression that the entire House now has voted on a formal impeachment inquiry, even though all the House is doing is confirming what Nancy Pelosi dictated. So it gets a little complicated. But to say that's an impeachable offense because the president exercises presidential authority that other presidents have exercised, It's not an impeachable offense. That's not a high crime or misdemeanor.
2: Well, does the president get to prevent people from coming? He does get
0: to prevent some. For example, his White House counsel. No president's required to send his White House counsel to Congress. Otherwise, he can't get any counsel. The thinking is, behind this doctrine of executive privilege, that a president has to have the ability to have private counsel. And and Congress doesn't have a, uh, a blank slate. To be subpoenaing his, uh, his chief of staff, his counsel, his deputy chief of staff, his national security advisor, uh, whether they're Republican or Democrat, and just start digging in and digging in and digging in and looking for stuff. Otherwise, who does the president talk to? And so that's why there's a separation of powers. I mean, it'd be like the president of the United States saying, "You know what? Uh, I want I want all the records and papers of members of Congress, and I want to talk to their chief of staff and their legislative director." Well, they wouldn't be able to do any business. Anyway, why, why else should he be impeached? Well, I mean, uh, just the way that I I thought
2: this worked, Here's the one that's being accused of something. In any and any type of case where. Uh, a, a crime is felt to, to have taken place.
0: Well, nobody's asserting a crime. Not well, even the
2: Democrats. Well, well, I mean, when they say uh, well, obstruction of justice, that would be... Considered
0: well, there's not obstruction of justice.
2: Oh, But I'm saying if, you're, if we want to say that, agree upon that that's what the Democrats are alleging...
0: No, no, no. The Democrats can't just say we're doing investigation into obstruction of justice. Listen to the language. That is a legal phrase that, that involves uh, a a criminal investigation. Congress doesn't do criminal investigations. They do oversight investigations, and they can do impeachment investigations. Okay, well, the impeachment, impeachment. So obstruction of Congress. But if a committee of Congress is issuing a subpoena, that's not the House. That's not Congress. That's a committee. And so... While they can put that together in an impeachment claim and say that that's an impeachable offense, that's fine, but it's not. What's your next uh, reason for impeaching the president? Well, my, I'm going I'm uh, to run out of time, Ron. Yeah, and I, and I
2: truly believe it's just based on the fact that when they're... When they're when the
0: Ron, listen has... to me. You're a good guy, and I want you to listen to me a second. The Republicans control the House and the Democrats' President of the United States. And they say, you know, we want to do an impeachment investigation. And the Democrat president says, no, uh, we're not going to do that. You just have a committee subpoenaing my White House counsel, committee subpoenaing my former national security advisor, separation of powers, we can assert executive privilege. You think that president should be impeached?
2: No, not necessarily. You know, they ha- have to have uh- some type of reason.
0: They have to have uh- some, some real reason. And even... I thought we' were going to get into this Ukraine thing a little bit, but I don't think we're going to have time. Ron, you sound like a good guy. Call back, okay? We'll do. All right, take care. Quickly. Liz, Brooklyn, New York, the great WABC. Go.
3: Mark, thank you for giving all that uh, statistics. Liz, quickly, you
0: got one minute. Yes. kid.
3: OK. I have one minute. I want you to know you have an army out here. We are going to start rising up and defending our president. Your information is vital, just so you know. And, uh, you know, because I have so little time, just remember that we're out here. That's all I want you to know.
0: Well, I want everybody to remember this election's coming up, and you have some people who are saying things like, uh, don't pay attention to this and don't pay attention to that, and that may help them with their ratings and popularity and so forth. I'm telling people, be prepared for a political battle like we've never seen before. That the reprobates, the malcontents, the leftists, the Democrats, all the same, they're going to turn out. And we need to turn out. The question is whether they outnumber us or we outnumber them. I'll be right back.
1: One-man antidote for liberal media bias. Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811.
0: On the campaign trail, President Trump promised to renegotiate NAFTA, to better deliver for American workers, businesses, and consumers, and he kept that promise. The U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement, USMCA, negotiated by the Trump administration, will replace NAFTA. When NAFTA was signed 26 years ago, No one could have predicted the explosion of innovation and cutting-edge advancements in medicine, agriculture, and technology. That's why the deal needed updating. President Trump's new trade agreement puts in place strong protections for American innovators and their intellectual property, responsible for the medical innovations we take for granted. But Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats want to rewrite the deal and strip out its intellectual property rights. But without strong protection of U.S. intellectual property rights, foreign freeloaders will continue to take advantage of our innovation. And the investments needed to create needed treatments for chronic and deadly diseases will be at risk. Protecting intellectual property protects the jobs of Americans who are working to create a better health future, and it protects the incentive to innovate and take risks. Get the facts. Go to truehealthcarefacts.com, truehealthcarefacts.com. That's truehealthcarefacts.com. I'm pleased to have Lee Smith. The book is The Plot Against the President, The True Story of How Congressman Devin Nunes Uncovered the Biggest Political Scandal in U.S. History. Lee Smith, how are you, sir?
6: I'm doing well, Mark. Very nice to speak with you, and thank you very kindly for inviting me on.
0: My pleasure. Your book is very hot. We only have a limited time with, with authors, so tell me, give give us the, the, the meat of this, two or three things in this book that are really going to shock the conscience.
6: Right, Well, I think one, I mean, one of the most important things that I found is is that um, I found different documents suggesting showing that what happened was they moved very quickly from opposition research to laying the groundwork for a counterintelligence investigation. By that, I mean that the Steele dossier was written precisely for the purpose of spying on the Trump campaign. It was a break-in, and the primary beneficiary of the break-in. Was not the FBI or the Department of Justice or the CIA the primary beneficiary of spying on the Trump campaign was Hillary Clinton? I think that we often, uh, you know, of course, we have a problem with the FBI and DOJ, but the primary beneficiary was the Clinton campaign. Another uh, Another important point that I make in my book is it is clear that Christopher Steele is not the primary author of the dossier that bears his name. He may have, in fact, very little to do with it. His primary role was, as I called him in one chapter, the avatar. He was, uh, his purpose was to sell the Steele dossier to both the press and to the FBI.
0: Who do you think I wrote think it?
6: I think it, was a, uh, I think it was a combination of different people at Fusion GPS and other Quinton operatives, and I think an important thing I, I think it's pretty clear that parts of it, large parts of it, must have been directed by people who understood how to obtain a spy warrant. I think when we talk about uh, when the Steele dossier got to the FBI, you know the controversy of the debate, whether they got it in July or whether they got it in September. I think the evidence strongly points to the likelihood that the FBI directed it and they didn't write it.
0: So you think in many respects it was planted? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. This was
6: not, it was not an opposition research document. This is not about – there were actually documents, documents that I have showing that Fusion GPS actually did opposition research, t- looking at the Trump team's alleged ties to Russian organized crime. If you look at what we know as the Steele dossier, this is not about organized crime. This is about the Trump team's alleged ties to a foreign – actor, a foreign power, Russia. That That is what got them the powers, the surveillance authorities to spy on the Trump campaign. Mm-hmm. I believe that the dossier was directed to do this. It's not opposition research. It's a literary forgery intended to serve a purpose to get a spy warrant
0: on the Trump campaign. Well, that's definitely new. And what was your third point,
6: well, the third point I wanted to make, which I think is something that, that you've been talking about, I mean, in your, in, in your, recent, uh, in your recent work, your, your best-selling book on the press, I think many people will be surprised to see, the, to see the extent of the role the press played here. I mean, I think a lot of people believe that the press was somewhat complicit or the press was ignorant or the press was lazy. The press was not lazy. The press was not ignorant. The press was part of this operation from the very outset. Starting in March 2016, many people talk about the uh, Trump-Russia operation in the press only in terms of the Michael Isikoff story, the David Korn story, stories right before the election. The articles alleging Trump's ties to Russia begin in March 2016, and the press continues to serve as a platform for an operation managed by Clinton operatives, Democratic operatives, and rogue law enforcement officials. It's astonishing the level uh, the level of what the press did here. To give one example, if you look at the 2018 Pulitzer Prize jointly awarded to the New York Times and the Washington Post for their reporting on the uh, Russia issue, the stories cited in the, for the award, many of them, if not most of them, are sourced to classified information. Now these were not provided by whistleblowers. These were provided by highly politicized intelligence intelligence officials. This is a case of the intelligence community, dirty cops and bad spies working with really uh with really dirty reporters.
0: You get the same you get the feeling the same thing's happening now with this Ukraine stuff with the CIA operative and now we have a lieutenant colonel and that sort of thing.
6: I think it's precisely that. I mean, I, I think that the Ukraine issue, what we're looking at, this farcical impeachment inquiry. Um, I, I think it's it's not it's not like RussiaGate. It's a continuation of RussiaGate. If you look at what happened, how they set up Trump, there is so much Ukraine-related material in the uh, in the RussiaGate hoax. First of all, there are Ukrainian activists. There are Ukrainian political figures. Including diplomats here at the Ukrainian embassy in Washington, and then if you look at the major allegations about Trump team officials, you see Ukrainian-related quid pro quos. They t- they say that Carter Page was taking an enormous bribe in order to, uh, in order to trash sanctions on Russia related to their invasion of Ukraine in 2014. So the fact that Trump that they're trying to topple Trump now on Ukraine-related quid pro quos. Again, this started in 2016. We've been doing this for more than three years now.
0: The book is The Plot Against the President, The True Story of How Congressman Devin Nunes Uncovered the Biggest Political Scandal in U.S. History. Now, how did our friend Devin Nunes do that?
6: Well, I mean, uh, Congressman Nunes, he was out on his own, uh, and he's, he's very modest about this, but. He was really out on his own. It started, I mean, he recognized that something was strange starting in around December 2016.
0: And I should when, just point out, Lee Smith, yeah. he's not known as a bomb thrower or a right-winger, quote-unquote. I mean, he was right. he was a fairly quiet congressman. Right, and that's why he wound up on the House Intelligence Committee and why he was chairman.
6: That's a uh, committee where they like to have people with relatively calm temperaments. You're right, they don't like bomb throwers. And so the fact that Congressman Nunes, when he saw this stuff, and when he came out to say what happened in March 2017, that he saw evidence that Obama officials had been unmasking Trump team officials in classified intercepts, people did take it seriously. People were listening to him, but they saw at the time that the press, the way that the press beat up on Congressman Nunes and the way they were beating up on Trump and anyone else who dared stand up to what clinton operatives and obama officials were up to so it was a very uh, as i described in the book it was a very lonely odyssey for quite some time
0: have you uh, been asked to appear on cnn or msnbc or nbc meet the press or cbs or abc
6: no i think that's i think that's very unlikely i mean the number of people uh the number of journalists i name including people at cnn Washington Post, New York Times. Uh, I don't. I don't think they're they're keen to hear me to hear me uh, explain what's happened the last three years and their role in this operation.
0: And I want people out there to know you take this step by step. In other words, uh, obviously uh, this is a truncated interview, but in your book, it's not truncated. You walk everybody through, and it's very readable. How long did it take you to write this?
6: Uh, about six months, I guess. Um, you know, I was rushing through. I wanted to I wanted to get it out as quickly as possible, but also I wanted to make it as read, readable as possible so people understood exactly what happened in the larger Russiagate operation against Trump and what Congressman Nunes did. So I had to be very careful to lay it out clearly. And, of course, I had extensive access to the congressman and many of the people on his staff. And, you know, these, these are really terrific people. These are people that Americans should be extremely proud of, We talk about the swamp. We talk about the bad people working here in Washington and the bad things they do. But these are public servants who stood up at a tough time, and they not only did their jobs, they they did a lot more. Um, So they all deserve our respect.
0: Do you think the Attorney General Barr and the U.S. Attorney Dorm are going to get to the bottom of what took place in
6: 2016? Uh, I believe that's the case, and I take as uh, evidence the impeachment fury, the rush with which uh, Speaker Pelosi and Congressman Schiff are keen to keep pushing this Ukraine nonsense—I believe it's directly tied to this. I think that this is largely a defensive maneuver. They're quite concerned about what the Attorney General and U.S. Attorney Durham are digging up, and this is one of the things that <laughs> this is one of the things I'm sure that they're finding. They're untangling what role. Uh, what role Ukrainian officials may have played? How they may have been dragged into this operation by Clinton operatives and U.S. law enforcement officials? I think that's one of the things that has them unnerved.
0: Uh, we have to take a little break. Would you like to hang around a few minutes with us?
6: That would be terrific. I'd love. All to-
0: right. Lee Smith is the author. It's a great book. The Plot Against the President, it's fresh off the presses, the true story of how Congressman Devin Nunes uncovered the biggest political scandal in U.S. history. We'll be right back. Here's Juliana from Austin, Texas, raving about her amazing transformation thanks to Genicel. I cannot get over how much and how quickly Genicel has helped me. The jawline cream has made my jaw and neck two separate body parts for the first time in a decade. My bags and puffiness are gone. It really is the skin's fountain of youth. Thank you, Genesel, for making me look and feel young again. Well, now it's your turn to see results, folks. Guaranteed and best of all, risk-free. Chaminade is clearing out their inventory before the holiday season. Order Genesel jawline treatment with MDL technology, packed with natural peptides to target that annoying turkey neck, and get the classic Genesel for bags and puffiness absolutely free. Free. And for results in 12 hours, the Genesel Immediate Effects, also free. This once-in-a-year offer is backed by their 60-day, 100% money-back guarantee. Call 800-SKIN-604 or go to Genesel.com. Now, order now for a surprise luxury gift with your order, 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or Genesel.com. That's genocell.com. The book is The Plot Against the President, The True Story of How Congressman Devin Nunes... Uncovered the biggest political scandal in U.S. history. The author, Lee Smith, who's been following this and doing a beautiful job for years now. Lee Smith, Politico, January 2017. Ukrainian efforts to sabotage Trump backfire. Kenneth Vogel, who's a leftist, he writes for the New York Times, David Stern. Ukrainian government officials tried to help Hillary Clinton and undermine Trump by publicly questioning his fitness for office. They also disseminated documents implicating a top Trump aide corruption and suggested they were investigating the matter only to back away after the election. And they helped Clinton's allies research damaging information on Trump and his advisors a political investigation found. This has been completely dropped by the Democrat Party press and they're investigating Ukraine and they're not investigating this. Again, echoes of Russia, right?
6: Right. I mean this is it's it's fundamentally important because if I mean since Ukraine is at the center of this, it makes sense that both Mayor Giuliani and President Trump would be interested in what happened in Ukraine, how Ukrainian officials, uh, Ukrainian activists, Ukrainian American activist named uh, Alexandra Chalupa, what they were doing, how they were participating in the operation to interfere in the 2016 election. It's absolutely Trump's duty to look into this. It's also his duty, I'm sorry to say, to look into, or I know a lot of people will not like it, but to look in what Joe Biden's son is doing, working at this company. This is a classic scenario for compromising U.S. national security. This guy, the Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, he says that looking into Biden's son has nothing to do with national security. That is absolutely untrue. There are a number of, there are hundreds of ways in which U.S. national security could have been compromised because the son of the vice president was working for a foreign company under investigation by a foreign power. We can imagine the number of different ways that U.S. national security, the vice president himself, Vice President Biden, or the president might have been compromised.
0: That's an excellent point. And you can only imagine if it were all Trump and the Trump family what the FBI would have done with that, right? Absolutely. They would have had a blast. The book is The Plot Against the President by Lee Smith. So let me ask you this about this Ukrainian impeachment. I mean, it's all one and the same. They were looking to impeach this president. They were looking, hoping they could indict this president, despite the, the prohibition in doing so. They were looking to do that from day one, weren't they?
6: Yes. It's, it's, I mean, the, the way I've described it, the way I understand it is it's a cult. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a cult of the swamp. They're trying to protect the swamp. They're trying to protect a whole bunch of different things. Donald Trump was sent by America, by Americans across the country who love their country, to get rid of these different problems, to drain the swamp. And what is Nancy Pelosi doing? Speaker Pelosi is the high priestess of the cult of the swamp. That's what they're doing, and that's why they're trying to bring down the president. They will not allow this nonsense they will not allow this swamp to be touched. Again, look, look at Lieutenant Colonel Vinman. I mean, God bless him. He, he he served in our armed forces. Fantastic. But when he says in his statement, when he says he was worried about U.S. government support for Ukraine, what does that mean? I mean, do Americans across the country, is this a vital interest for all Americans across the country, mm-hmm. jobs, uh, health care, and U.S. military aid for Ukraine? I'm not sure that all Americans agree on that. So why is it so important now that he turns this around and he uses this as a platform to go after the president?
0: It's It's amazing. He disagrees with the president, and so he gets to testify against the president?
6: He's a subordinate at the National Security Council staff. It's the president who makes foreign policy, and and it's the U.S. government that spends U.S. taxpayers' money to advance U.S. interests, not because of certain pet interests of minor policymakers throughout the Beltway.
0: You have a chapter on the Nunes memo. You want to briefly explain that?
6: Well, the Nunes memo was a uh, very important, uh, a very important moment during uh, during their investigation, which I should say they they had a name for it: Objective Medusa. So this was a central part in the objective Medusa investigation. They found out, this is when they found out, they'd known for a while, but they needed a way, a legal way, to get it to the American public, to get them the news, especially that this uh, Clinton-funded project was used as evidence to obtain a warrant to spy on a presidential campaign.
0: Well, Lee, listen, I have to go. I want the public to know they really ought to acquire this book, The Plot Against the President, The True Story of How Congressman Devin Nunes Uncovered the Biggest Political Scandal in U.S. History by Lee Smith. It is an outstanding book, Lee. Very, very very well done. It's linked on my social sites, Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. You can get it at Amazon.com, and I encourage you to do it. Take care, my friend. And we salute all you heroes out there. Thank you very, very much. And I'll see you tomorrow right here. God bless.
2: From the Westwood One Podcast Network.